what Jeff shared um, this morning as we were getting ready to take up offering. Um, uh, that's kind of how I feel. You know, we, we come in into church each Sunday and, and we are a, a scripture forward church. Uh, it, it drives everything in the life of the church and, and we'll not apologize for that. That's just who we are. That's who we'll always be. But, um, uh, you know, we, we come in and we, we open up the scripture and we, we want to examine the scripture, right, Kelly? And we want to look at the scripture. But there's a responsibility that each of us have in that process of examining the scripture. And it's opening ourselves up to allow the scripture to examine us, you know, and, and to find. Uh, and, and I think if we open ourselves up and, you know, we, we just make ourselves available to God, uh, that's much easier accomplished than you might think uh, if you'll just open the door and just allow him to speak to you. And, uh, and I come up here week after week and I'm doing the same thing. You know, um, I, I'm wanting God to speak to me because I really want to leave here uh, having been adjusted. You know, um, I, I find myself periodically going to a chiropractor. Anybody here go to a chiropractor? Okay, Dennis, uh, okay. And, and uh, uh, sometimes when you go to the chiropractor, they'll set you up on that table. You know, they'll, they'll get those, the little electro-massaging pads on your back or whatever, the stimulant, you know what I'm talking about? Man, you'll get to feeling like jello, and then they'll set you on that table, and you're like, oh, man, this is really good. Then all of a sudden he says, well, here, turn this way, turn that way, hold this, hold that, and then pow, he'll hit you. And, and initially, there's a great deal of force in that, right? And you, you feel things move that you're not sure that they're supposed to be moving like that. Right? And, 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 and at first, there's this almost a fear, like, did that break? You, know, you, ever, you ever been like, can I feel my toes? And after the initial impact, the initial jarring, the initial uh, discomfort, what follows, Jose, is relief. Relief. And sometimes it's the same way with God's Word when we allow it to examine us. Uh, sometimes we have to put ourselves in a position under his care, and it may be uncomfortable. He may position you in a manner that doesn't feel like it's going to accomplish what he's wanting to accomplish. And sometimes his blows are, uh, are forceful, and sometimes they're uncomfortable. But if we're willing to trust him and put ourselves in his hands, then we too can find relief from the issues of life, relief in him. Amen? Amen. All right, hey, we're back in the book of Exodus. We're going to finish uh, a portion of chapter 19. We're going to actually save verses 20 through 25 because it's going to allow us to transition uh, smoothly in, into the next chapter where we start to deal with the, the commandments of God and whatnot. But uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, verses 9 through 19. And to give you a, a little summary of where we came from last week as we opened up chapter 19, we went through verses 1 through 8, right? And uh, the children of Israel had been led uh, uh, 
by God through Moses to Mount Sinai. And we remember that God had spoken to Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus saying that this would be a sign unto him that God had chosen him to lead his people. Uh, it was a, an encouraging experience for Moses, right, as they parked there at Mount Sinai. And so uh, God was doing some things for the larger group and at the same time doing things specifically for Moses. And then God ends up reminding the children of Israel all that he had done. Remember, he says to them, hey, remember, I brought you cats out of Egypt on, on uh, eagle's wings. Remember that? It was me who did that. I was the one that did that. And he, he declares to the Hebrews his, his intentions and his motivation. And what he says to them, he, he makes this covenant that is contingent on their obedience and their faithfulness to him. He said, hey, if you keep my commandments, if you obey, obey me and all these things, then you will be my treasured, what? Possession. And we had looked at the Hebrew, what that word actually meant, and, and it literally meant like a jewel, something you would put on display. And he said to them uh, that you will become a, a royal priesthood, you'll become a priesthood for me, and a holy nation representing God. And he, he goes on to say as he pulls them out, he says the whole earth is mine. But you will be a treasured possession. You will be a lamp. You will be a jewel. You will be my, my, my expression. I will set you up here to put you on display for the whole world to see who I really am. And so he says to Moses, these are the words that you are to tell the people of Israel. The Hebrews. And so Moses scatters down. He, he gathers everybody up. And he expresses to them all, and that's what the scripture says, all that the Lord had commanded. And this is what the people's response was. In ver, I think it's in verse 8. And this is how it ends. And it says, the people responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their words back to the Lord. Y'all with me? All right, I need everybody tracking on the same path. I don't want to lose anyone. So this is where we're going to pick up, okay? Verse 9, Exodus chapter 19. Let's just read these 10 verses here, and then we'll just unpack it. And then we'll allow it to examine us. Right, as we examine it. The Lord said to Moses, remember Moses had just brought back the people's response to God. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and they will always put their trust in you. And Moses relayed to the Lord what the people had said. That, I mean, that's literally the definition of intercessory, isn't it? He's, he's communicating between God and the people and the people and God. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you are to set up a boundary for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful not to go up on the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Sounds pretty stern, doesn't it? Sounds pretty hot at that moment right there. 
But we understand from the previous verses the motivation and the intentions of God. So when the difficult things come from God, when we understand his motivation and his intentions, it's much easier to bend under the difficult things. He says, no hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned uh, or shot with arrows. And, and that, that, that's an incredible thought right there in itself. The fact that this person, whoever were to violate this before God, whoever were to touch them out, whoever to, 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 to uh, trespass beyond the boundaries, would be considered so undefiled simply by their disobedience to God that God said the death penalty that will be, that will be uh, uh, active at that moment will have to be utilized in a manner that to even bring that about, you can't even lay hands on them. Their disobedience would make them that unclean. That's pretty severe. That's pretty severe. And it says, uh, uh, but he shall, shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Whether man or beast, he must not live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a loud blast may they approach the mountain. When Moses came from the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. And they washed their clothes. Be prepared for the third day, he said to the people. Do not draw near to a woman. We'll stop and we'll talk about that one. That's kind of thrown in there and you're like, yeah, let's, let's wrestle through that. We'll, we'll address that. On the third day when morning came, there was thunder and lightning. A thick cloud was upon the mountain and a very loud blast of the ram's horn went out so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke rose like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. And as the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we, we examined this we open our hearts and we allow the word to examine us. And Father, there's times that we navigate through the scripture and we understand what you're saying. We understand the story, the, the, the idea, the concept and whatnot. But we, we, we struggle sometimes, Lord, in, in opening up and, and finding application. What, what, was, what does this say to me? What is this saying to us? So Father, today as we unpack this, May it be found and may it be treasured, the application for ourselves in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at this. Okay, Exodus chapter 19, verse 9, okay? The very beginning of this scripture, the very beginning of it, this is how it starts. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a dense cloud. The word behold in the, in the Hebrew is hanai and is a dem demonstrative particle. It's like a divine highlight, highlighter. You understand? When it says behold, what he's basically saying is, I need your attention because you need to hear what I'm about to say. A demonstrative particle, literally trying to get your attention. Hey, are you listening? And Gabe looks up and says, yeah, Trent, I'm listening. I was just looking at something. But that's what that means right there. He's wanting his attention because what he's about to say is extremely important. It's not one of those things that you'll say, I'll try to catch that on the podcast. I need to hear it now as God is speaking, right? 
And he says, I will come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you. Now this is kind of an odd statement. And I mentioned this to Miss Terry. Because if God is wanting the people to hear what he is saying to Moses, wouldn't he just then say it to the people? Why then, why then go the long way around? Well, that is explained in the very next portion of this scripture. And they will always put their trust in you. So this is what God is saying in this moment. Because in, in previous verses, we have found out that, that there were many times, as, as a matter of fact, I think if you go back into chapter 16, there's five different times where the people grumbled against Moses. And, and uh, uh, in that grumbling, it was identified that it wasn't actually Moses that they were grumbling against, but it was God that they were grumbling against. And what God is doing right here, he had already reestablished with Moses by bringing him to Mount Sinai. He had confirmed to him with a sign that you're my mouthpiece. So now all of a sudden, he says, I'm about to direct you, Moses. I'm about to speak to you, but I'm going to speak in a manner that all the people will know that I'm what? Placing in you my authority. And moving forward, when they buck against you, it isn't you they're bucking against, but it's me. I want them to hear me and endow you with this authority. Now listen, I've done that before in my own life with my children. I remember when Clark was you know, younger and, and Taylor was of, of that age to babysit. She was, oh, she was seven, he was one. No, I'm just kidding, wasn't that young. Uh, um, but she, she was probably 12 or 13 and, and I'd have to run an errand and, and, and I would say, Taylor, watch over uh, Mowgli, uh, the feral child, as he runs through the house, try to keep him under control. And, and uh, I would get back, I would get back and there'd be times that I would find out that Clark Evans had bucked up against his sister. And these were the words that I got from Taylor. She said, I told Clark to do this or that, Daddy. And Clark said to me, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> and so I said, okay, okay. So the next time that I would leave her then in the, in, in, in the care of little Mowgli, Mowgli Evans, I, I would bring Taylor in, into my presence and I made sure Clark was close enough. And I would say, Taylor, when I leave, and I'm talking to Taylor looking at Clark, when I leave, you're the boss of him, of Mowgli. You represent me. What you say, I have endowed you with authority. So if he resists what you're saying, then it isn't you he's resisting, it's me. Do you understand that, Taylor and Mowgli? Clark, do you? And so this is exactly what is taking place in this scripture when God is speaking to Moses in the hearing of the Hebrew people. He's basically establishing in their hearing this is an undeniable reality. They couldn't act as though they didn't know. They hear it. He's in charge. But ultimately, I'm in charge. But he is my vessel. 
That is what's taking place. And Moses relayed to the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Now listen, I love... I love how the, and listen, I'm not a big NLT fan. Listen, if you love the New Living Translation, hey, knock yourself out. I think Ben and I were talking about this the other day. I love multiple translations. I love reading them. Some of you guys already know this. I'll wear you out on that stuff. I'm not the biggest fan of paraphrased translations whatnot, but hey, some of them are really good. The NLT has its benefits. But there is a rendering of the, in the NLT of this verse that I think encapsulates everything that is really being said here, and it renders it absolutely beautifully. When the, the scripture that we're reading this morning, when it says, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, the NLT reads like this. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? That is a beautiful rendering of that verse. Go down and prepare my children because daddy's coming. I mean, that's one of those things that it just kind of stirs you, right? It stirs you when you read that. And this is what he says. They must wash their clothes, right? They must wash their clothes. Now, one of the things I want you to understand, during this, this time period, and, and even in, in periods of time in history, uh, like under this, it wasn't as though people were like uh, Carrie Evans, or people were like Brooke, or people were like many of you ladies in the house, where you had more than one wardrobe, or one, 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 one uh, piece of clothing. You know, uh, uh, Carrie Evans, you could go into our closet, she could clothe the Hebrew children. <laughs> right? Right? Or at least close. Right? That's not the case right here. That's not the case. And, and, and don't y'all give me the stinky eye thinking, oh, you're taking shots at Carrie. Hey, you know your wife's got that same closet going. Come on. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. You, you know, if you saw our closet, I'm telling you, I've got maybe a fifth. And she's got... The closet, right? And so when it says to, to wash their clothes, these individuals were not walking around with wardrobes full of clothing. The clothes they had on their back was practically the only clothes that they had. And it wasn't as though you had two million people running around Mount Sinai start naked because they took off their clothes and was washing their clothes. The reality is they would have washed their clothes while wearing their clothes. And in so doing, not just clean their clothes, the exterior, but the idea of washing themselves was part of that. The word consecrate in the Hebrew is kodash, and it means to set apart, to make holy. In the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, which the New Testament written in Greek, translates it with the Greek word hagaizo, which describes, listen, external purity, that matches internal purity, right? So the idea of washing their clothes, it isn't just an expression of an outward cleansing, but it's an expression of an inward cleansing. And that isn't done by water. That isn't done by water. You can't wash that stuff off, man. Hence, God gives them two days to prepare themselves. Because there's going to be a time of selling in this. They're going to have to do some real soul searching. Consecrating them. Setting themselves, as we would say in, in, the, in the New Testament church, sanctified or sanctification. Being made whole, setting apart kind of thing. And this is what Moses is telling these. Or this is what God is telling them to have them do. 
And he says, and be prepared by the third day, for on the third day, now is that just irony? I would not abandon that so quickly if I were you. The, the uh, emphasis and the significance of God descending on the third day when we know our God also ascended on the third day, right? I mean, you've got God, you've got God coming in and you've got God going out, right? That's in just the gospel. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful image. God descends, God ascends, and he does it for his people, right? For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, right? Now, let's look at this. And he says, and you are to set up a boundary for the people. Now, listen, these boundaries are being established for the benefit of the people. It was the people that the boundaries were actually saving, right? You do get this, right? We oftentimes, you and I, oftentimes lose sight of the awe of, of God. You know what I'm talking about, Carl? God becomes just another hat that we wear, right? And we lose sight of the glory and the awe of God. And there's times in our own lives as followers and believers in Jesus, we need to understand some boundaries. We need to understand the significance of the glory of who God really is and not allow that to be lost on us and just think of God as just another friend, another conversation, another part of our life. That's not who God is. God is much more than that. But we have a tendency to lose the awe of God. And we approach God uh, with, with prideful and arrogant spirits. I mean, the things that I've heard people pray in direction of God with almost an accusing spirit. You have failed me. You've let me down. This is what your word says. You need it. And then I've heard people literally command God. And I'm like, brother, sister, you need some boundaries. You need some boundaries. You've lost the awe of God. You've lost the pecking order, or at least the sense of the pecking order. You don't understand who calls the shots. And Job found out it wasn't him. You can read that. We've lost that awe. I, re I remember just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we are on that uh, monorail. That's what it was called, right? The monorail? Am I right? Ryan, help me out. Monorail. All right, we're rolling into, I was about to call it United Kingdom. <laughs> we're rolling into Magic Kingdom, Disney World, okay, Disney, whatever it is. It's one of those places. We're rolling in, right, with a castle, all right, and little ivies uh, on, the, on the monorail, and, and all of us are in, in this one car, and we're shooting across the, the interstate. We're, we're zooming into this place, and, and I hear Kim say, I mean, there's, the castle. And I turned around and look, I, hey, I, got, I got kind of wrapped up. I was wanting to see it myself. I was like, where is that castle? And I looked down at Ivy. Kim, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, she was plastered. And then I was plastered looking at her being plastered. The all that she was perceiving of this castle that in her mind she had seen a thousand times, but there it lay right before her. And then how that all was transferred to me as I watched her. And I think to myself, oh, oh, how many times because we've lost the awe of God, those around us have lost the opportunity to experience the awe of God through us. 
And, and so those on the peripheral, when, when they perceive us looking at God as though he's just a, a common thing, they walk away from that same encounter thinking, yeah, I reckon it's pretty common. Just another church thing. And so God sets up some boundaries for his children as they're coming. And we need, we need that. We need, we need to understand. We need to understand who, who God is. And this is what he, he says. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Now listen, we've got to understand the context of the scripture. What have these people been doing for the last two days? Making themselves holy, right? Making themselves what? The scripture says consecrate, setting themselves apart, washing and cleansing themselves. But yet God then comes behind it and says, listen, even with these, um, these, th this process of consecration, this process of setting apart, even though you followed all of these, understand where the boundaries are because if you violate the boundaries, it is death to you. Do you understand what is happening right here in this scripture? You can't clean yourself enough. That's what they're saying. That's what God is saying. You can't consecrate yourself enough. You can't bathe enough. You can't make yourself holy enough to touch God, to come this close to God. You can't clean yourself enough to cross the boundaries. So how do we cross the boundaries? I'm going to tell you how we cross the boundaries and how we cross the boundaries safely and intact, whole. We cross the boundaries because Jesus has made that possible. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I love what Isaiah says in chapter 64, verse 6. He says, our righteousness has become as filthy rags, right? I mean, the best we can do, we're still filthy, right? I mean, the and I've seen cats try to clean themselves up. I've seen people get in church, man, and they, they look good. They act good. They walk good. They talk good. And they really think, man, that's going to give them that place. And all they end up doing by the end of their life, Tim, is just, they just end up exhausted. That's a lot of work to do on yourself. You're talking about an extreme makeover, man. When you take upon yourself that responsibility of getting yourself that clean that God would accept you, that's a failing endeavor. But this is what the scripture says. I want you to get this. Romans chapter 6, hey, we know this. Hey, we know Romans chapter 6, verse 23, right? I mean, everybody knows the scripture. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love it. The term the gift is, is where we get the word charismatic. You know, some of you have been in a charismatic church, right? You know, you'll hear that term thrown around quite a bit. Is the Greek word charisma, right? And in it, there's two implications. It isn't just some translations will render it the gift of God. But the word charisma actually brings with it a different connotation, more than just a gift. It is free gift. Some of your translations will actually render it as a free gift, right? Right? Some of your translations will render it as a free gift. Others of your translations will render it, there's another word that charisma represents, gracious gift or gift of grace. And so basically, this gift of God 
is a gift of grace through Christ Jesus. And we're talking about the barrier, right? We're talking about the barrier. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Listen to this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, speaking of Jew and Gentile, this is what he's done for both groups. Remember, these are the Jews where the barrier is set up. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between God and sin. Jesus, literally, the, if you could visualize this, if you were encamped around Mount Sinai, and if there were the, the old road cones and tape out there, and there were barriers, Jesus, in essence, through his life, comes through there and snips that and creates an avenue to enter in. That's what the Scripture says right here. He says, by setting aside in his flesh... The law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, Jew and, and, and Gentile, thus making peace. Peace with who? Not just them, but with God. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Literally, he is the barrier breaker. Right? Right? But what the scripture in Exodus is showing us, without him, you can't do that. You can't do it. All right, hold on here. <clears throat> let's, let's, let's move on right here. And he says, and no hand shall touch him. Speak, let me go back and read the rest of that verse. And he says right here, be careful not to go up on the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Whether man or beast, he must not live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. You know what he's saying right there? This, this is akin to the New Testament. When the scripture says no man comes to the Father except the Spirit draws him. You know what God says here? You come to the mountain upon my invitation. You don't move to the mountain until you hear the horn blast. Till the trumpet blows. You don't, you don't move on your own. It's an invitation by God to draw close to him. The incredible thing about it is each and every one of you are in this place this morning because that invitation of God has drawn you here. Drawn you here in your life. Drawn you here. You know, even this morning you're here. And I believe it's because the Spirit of God drew you here. You're here by invitation. Don't make me get that shofar out and blow that thing. If I were to do it, you'd understand why I said don't make me do it. This is what the scripture says. And, and let, me, let, me, let me say this. Let me say this to encourage you. This ain't the last invitation we're going to be given that's going to be preceded by a trumpet blast. A horn that's blown. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17 says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet, of, trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forevermore. 
I don't know, there's, there's something about these horns blowing, these trumpets blasting, and the invitation of God to draw near to him. And then Exodus chapter 19, 14 and 15 says this, and we're moving relatively quick. When Moses came down from the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. He did what he was told to do. And he washed their clothes. <laughs> Be prepared for the third day, he said to the people, and do not draw near to a woman. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Don't draw near to those, those defiled women. Is that what he was saying, Ben? No, it wasn't. <laughs> That's not what he was saying. And listen, when we read this scripture, understand what's taking place right here, right? Um, this isn't an undermining. Or, who's the youngest here? Reach over and cover her ears. <laughs> he thought I said, who's the youngest person here? Yeah, yeah. Okay, listen. This isn't uh, to demean or undermine the conjugal dynamic of marriage. Okay, that's not what he's saying. As a matter of fact, what's being spoken here in the Old Testament is reiterated in the New Testament, is it not? And it's for spiritual purposes, is it not? That's what I read in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, I think it's the only time it can be justified that a husband or a wife find themselves abstaining from conjugal uh, relations uh, with their spouse. And it's motivated by spiritual motivation. As a matter of fact, when he says that, what he is saying to them is the things of the flesh, those things that are in your body, set those desires aside and concentrate and consecrate yourselves to the spiritual things. Reiterated in 1 Corinthians, right? 7, 3 through 5. It says the husband shall fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does, and listen, I hadn't, this wasn't my intention, okay? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Do you see the commonality? Do you see the connection? Do you see what God has told them? Do you see the continuity and the consistency of the character of God? Do you, do you see what he's saying to them? Hey, guys, put the fleshly desires aside. Concentrate yourself and concentrate on the spiritual. And then if you go back in 1 Corinthians, it says this, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Listen, when you read that scripture in Exodus, and, and Moses comes out there and says, hey, hey, hey guys, uh, boys and girls, no conjugal activity. You know there's some cat out there saying, well, how, how, how long? How long is this going to, you know, you know what I'm talking, come on, you know what I'm talking about. Some, some, some guys out there are like, you know, I, I love the Lord, but well, he gave me my wife. That's why he said it wasn't good to be alone. What? You know, there was somebody asking that. And let me say this, this was for a period of time to accomplish a given task and a given purpose of God, and then things were to go back to normal, just like it says in the New Testament. And after a season, come back together. Why? So you don't fall into temptation. So this wasn't an ugly, a disgusting, a revolting type of, of, of portion of Scripture. It's just a reality. And he was saying, put the first things first, spiritual things first. 
Are you with me? With me. I don't, I don't want emails. I don't want texts. Nothing through messenger. Everybody tracking with me. I don't need no man telling me to call their wife, talk to them, or wife, talk to their husband. Don't. I'll block you and unfriend you. All right. And on the third day, when morning came, there was a thunder, there was thunder and lightning. Now listen, you've been told this. That's a whole different ball game, man, when you start to see this. Whole different ball game. On the third day when morning came, there was thunder and lightning. Now you can imagine when this first starts, everyone in, in Israel, all the Hebrews are thinking, is this it? This is what most, and you start, you start to hear it, start to see it, you start to think, this, this must be it. And you can see a little bit of angst kind of welling up, and, and it, it expresses itself like that in this scripture. It says, a thick cloud was upon the mountain. Now, this wasn't necessarily something that would confuse them at this moment because they have seen this pillar of cloud and they have seen a pillar of fire at different times. But then all of a sudden, this thing expresses itself in a manner that they had not yet experienced. And a very loud blast of the ram's horn went out. You ever wonder where that, the source of that horn blast came from? Heaven. Let's just end that discussion. Origins. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Now who is all the people? All the people. Who does that include? I won't tell you who it includes. It includes Moses. And you say, well, Trent, how do you know that? That's not what the scripture says. Well, that's what Hebrews says. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 21, they tell this account. And you know what the scripture says? The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. And let me, let me share this with you. When you're experiencing God and God is speaking to you about entertaining the obedience of God and following through and experiencing Him, listen, it can be scary. It can be scary. It can be scary for you it's scary for me. Listen, following God and seeing God express himself in manners that he had not yet seen left Moses trembling. If Moses, who literally is having conversations with God in person, is left trembling when God begins to express himself in a given manner, who are you and I not to experience some of that same type of trepidation, fear, and trembling? Not that God is the source of fear, but the awe of God and the understanding of where God may be leading you. God may be calling you. God may be directing you. That can be a scary thing. And God was directing them into a place where he had already said there's a boundary and if you cross it, death is yours. Now, I don't know how many of these cats who are, who are, who are covered with fear. No one's moving at this time. And that is a call to come to the boundary lines, to approach the mountain. And Moses is trembling. There's times because I feel Scripture directs me to be the responsible leader in our home, spiritually, Tim. That doesn't mean Carrie doesn't have a say 
uh, the reality is she submits to me and I submit to her and we both submit to Jesus. There's never been a point or a juncture in our lives where we made spiritual decisions that we were in conflict with. As a matter of fact, that would not happen. We would ultimately have to concede one to another and discern that together. But at the end of the day, I have to make the final say and then the final responsibility lays on me. I become the most culpable of the two. When you're making decisions for your family on a spiritual level, being led by God, understanding the culpability that you have as a husband, as a father, and you don't tremble, you have lost the awe of God. When you know that you're the one that's going to be given an account for the decisions that you make that affect these people, and you don't tremble, there's something in right, brother. There's something in right. But regardless, if the trembling is present or not, you must press on. You must be faithful. What does the very next verse say? Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. We know that Moses was trembling in fear, overwhelmed probably by the situation. He's an 80-year-old man. And yet with all that going on, what does he end up doing? He still pushes against the fear and the trembling and he gathers the people. It would be like me saying to Carrie, hey, Carrie, follow me. Shaking, but I'm really scared. I just need you to trust me. Do you remember what God had said at the beginning of this? He was going to speak to Moses so that the people would hear, and what? So they would trust him. So Moses is coming out there, and you can imagine this fear. And he's saying, knees maybe knocking a bit. Come on out, let's go worship. Can you see that? Isn't that a beautiful, isn't that, so isn't that a beautiful image that Moses would gather these people? Hey, God, I know you're scared. Blair, I'm a little scared too. You can see Moses say that, right? But you remember what God's intentions were? Remember what he told us? Remember what his motive was, guys? A royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. Yeah, it's scary, but... And it's new. It's well, Let's go to the foot of the mountain, or at least close enough. And let's go worship. You can see that, right? And he pushes on. Dad, you got to push on. Wife, you have to push on. Brother, sisters, you have to push on. If God tells you to do something, Allison, Gabe, if God speaks to you guys, and it's, it's fearful, because none of us like to be pushed out of our comfort zone. None of us like that, do we? Ben, do you like that? Darcy, do you like it? Jose, we don't like it, do we? But if God is pushing us out of that comfort zone, and man, we're enveloped in, in all of this thoughtful calculations of how this is going to work out, and all of a sudden, Greg, we're overwhelmed with fear. God's not responsible for the fear we've allowed in our hearts and our minds. God has directed us, and we never have an excuse not to obey Him. There is never a moment in our lives where we're justified in looking at God and saying, no. We just have to push through. And us pushing through 
may enable other people to push through. If Moses doesn't push through, do the people ever gather and come to worship God? He had to push through his own fears. And he then ushers them into that place. Let's read the scripture. We're going to close, okay? It says, Mount Sinai, or said, let me, let me, that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain, the barriers. Now, there's going to be some quacks, right? There's going to be, you always got a few in there. You know, they want to cross the line. And God deals with this in verse 20 through 25. And we'll touch on that briefly next week. Let's not jump too far ahead. And you're sitting there thinking, Trent, you're the one jumping ahead. We're just listening. So they're at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke rose like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. Now get this, because this kind of speaks to overcoming the fear. God had already told Moses, I'm going to speak to you in the hearing of the people, right? He already said that. Now what he doesn't say is that I'm going to initiate the conversation. I don't know if this was one of those faith moments where Moses was going to have to step out and initiate a conversation, conversation, hoping that God would respond. I don't know, but it kind of sounds like it. And the sound of the ram's horn grew loud. No. Grew louder and louder. Hmm. Okay, let's, let's read this. Let's consider this. They're already as close as they can get. The horn was to signify what? To draw near. They can't go beyond that boundaries. There's only one person who has and lived. That's being Moses at this point, right? So all of a sudden, that horn that drew them close continues to blow louder and louder with the understanding that God had already said, in a conversation, I'm going to respond to you in front of the people. And when the scripture says, and it grows louder and louder, in my mind, Greg, in my mind, Jacob, when I'm reading that scripture, it's almost as though God is clearing his throat to speak to Moses. <clears throat> Loud. <clears throat> you know how it is when you're kids, when you're talking to your kids? I look at my son, when my son, you say, yeah. I said, <clears throat> yes, sir. <clears throat> <clears throat> and I think that's what's taking place right here. It's the initiation of the response of Moses in faith to communicate with God in front of the hearing of the people. The horn grew louder and louder. And what does the scripture say? The scripture says this, and Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. All this going on with Moses, we know he's fearful. He's got all this going on. He comes up there. I, I can almost sense that he was supposed to speak. The trumpet's already blown, and he's reserved for whatever reason, and he, it blows louder. 
And then it blows louder and louder to where the trumpet of God drowns out the fear of Moses. And the scripture says, and Moses spoke to God. And God answered him in the thunder. And literally, we're going to close with this thought. I wonder if his apprehension in speaking may have been attributed to his fear that maybe God wouldn't respond. And then he's left out there with millions of people looking at him. We know he already had an issue, a crisis right, of confidence, and so God gives him the sign, and then God reiterates to him. Why is God speaking to him about those matters? Because those matters existed in his heart. But of all this portion of the scripture that I can identify with the most, Chase is probably when I allow my fear to displace my confidence in praying. Blair, you ever been there, man? You know what I'm talking about? We're like, I'm, I'm afraid to ask because I'm afraid he won't respond. I'm afraid to ask because I'm afraid he'll say no. I'm afraid to ask because, Josh, I'm just not good enough. I'm afraid to ask because I've asked before. Some of you guys, man, you got some things going on in your life. Been going on a while, man. You've wrestled through it. I know. I know you are. I mean, you're pushing through it, man. You're trying. You're trying. But what you really need to do, what Trent really needs to do, it's just uh, push through the fear. Whatever is keeping me from opening up my heart to God and just really letting it out there and just pouring myself out. And overcome all that and just cry out to God. Wouldn't it be a beautiful, beautiful thing that if you had your Moses-type moment this morning where you just cried out to God, you just, man, you, you got all these responsibilities around God. You got two million people. It feels like it, don't it? You got two million different, you got all, he, he's got all this camp, this nation of people, the bickering, the complaining, he's got all this. He's probably physically exhausted. He's 80 years old. But what he needs the most, God is willing to provide. But God wants him to initiate this conversation and God is going to respond to him. What a convincing concept to the children of Israel that they would hear a mere man speak and invoke a response from heaven. <laughs> That's why you trust him. This man's got an audience with God. 
God responds to him. What I would say to you, my brothers and sisters, is I believe God responds to you too. Desires to respond to you. Wants to respond to you. On the matters of your life, your heart. When are you going to cry out? When are you going to speak to him? That's your, that's your opportunity. That's what's given to you this morning as we leave here. Consider that. Laying all those other things down and just crying out to God. I believe if some of you guys were to do that, I believe God would speak to you this week. He may speak to you this day. He may speak to you this hour, this minute. If you're willing to do it, push through the fear. Push through the fear and just put it out there, man. But God, this thing's so messed up, God. My kids are messed up. My husband's messed up. My wife's messed up. My job's messed up. I've already tried to fix all this, and I can't fix it. And God, you seem so far away, and I don't know what the answer is. Don't cry out. He may give you the answer. And the answer may not rest in fixing all of them. The answer may rest in fixing you. Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning. We'll be dismissed. With our heads bowed just for a moment, we're just going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, We cry out to you this morning on behalf of Kevin Cavill. I pray, oh God, that you would touch him in his body, that you would surround him with doctors, the right doctors at the right time to administer what is needed. I pray, oh God, that your hand would be upon him and his family. I believe you can do these things, Father. That's the reason we cry out. And as much as I cry out for him, Lord, there are many people here this morning who have many needs in their own lives, wrestling through many things in their own heart, overwhelmed with fear, who want to cry out and can't even conjure up the words to articulate the needs of their heart. It just sounds like a moaning. Or a grunting. It's so deep. It's so deep. But oh God, I pray this morning for each person who's willing to express themselves to you and to pour their hearts out to you and to cry out to you. I pray God in your sovereignty and your goodness, your grace and your mercy that you would pour yourself out upon them and work out the things that seem to be so broken, mend, heal, make whole the lives of your sons and daughters. Father, for no, no father wants a child who's broken. Oh, as a dad, what I would do for my son or my daughter who was broken, all the more you desire to do for us in that state. And so, Lord, we cry out to you this morning. We lay ourselves before you and we ask, oh God, that you that you just, just, just be God to us this morning. Speak to us this morning as we have 
poured our hearts out to you. Give us ears to hear and to listen, feet and hands to follow and to do. Examine us this morning with your word. We thank you for it and we bless your name. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray that ask these things and the sons and the daughters of Jehovah. Say amen. 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 God bless you.